The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Previously on The Mike Wise Show... I like that there's kind of a renaissance of social conscience among uh, athletes and guys aren't just uh, playing it safe so they can protect their endorsements. I agree with you 100%. I think, uh, especially now, I think we're in, in a, with the pandemic that we're, we're confronting and facing every day, you know, I, I think crisis creates uh, evol- evolution. I think crisis creates us to think and find answers uh, to not only the pandemic, but some of the changes of our society right now that might have to be in our society for a year, maybe two. And I think the more we get the, I've always felt that the more information you get, the more, the better, the better answer you'll have. That was today's guest, legendary coach George Carl from back in May of 2020. George joins us this week and will share stories from basketball current events, and even talk some politics. But first, Darlene, before Trump is voted out, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. This week's guest is one of our favorite basketball people in the universe. Only five coaches in NBA history have won more regular season games than our friend George Carl. He was also way ahead of the curve when it came to addressing issues of social justice. Welcome back, Coach. Mike, I hope your world is uh, somewhat settled. And it's always good to be with you and Bruce. And... uh... Uh, you know, in about four days or five days, uh, you know, we have a big day. So oh, my goodness. We, we, I live in D.C., 25 minutes from um, 25 minutes from a guy who's basically surrounded by neighbors that want him to move out. Have you voted yet, George? I have. I'm, I voted. My vote, I think, is actually, you know, I got, a, I got certification from the state that my vote is, they have my vote. And I think they said they counted. It's counted already. Oh, that's great. That's great. I did not see you as a Kanye West guy. I'm, I'm really surprised you used your vote for that. Oh, no. I, yeah, I've, <laughs> most of my life, I've been fairly uh, democratic. And yeah. uh, in, in today's world, I'm really democratic. Well, you grew up in Pittsburgh, which isn't necessarily the most liberal place in the world. So how much of an influence did Coach Smith have on your politics or, or your worldview when you got to Chapel Hill? Well, my dad was a blue-collar worker. So mm-hmm. back then, blue-collar workers are – my household probably was the, – the political talk was more democratic. Um, but there, I would say Coach Smith socially – and act from standpoint of being an activist, Coach Smith was very much proactive and be involved, be engaged. 
uh, be alert, be aware. Mm. Uh, and and he, he was one of these guys that, you know, definitely wanted to, you know, believe the power of the, of the ballot is really still strong in this country. And I think that's what, I think more than anything right now, the, 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 the vote, go out and vote. Mm. Um, and I think more than ever, the awareness of what has happened with the anti-racism and, and just some of the crazy stuff that our last three or four years has brought to our attention. Um, and and I, I, I say it all the time, the world is changing and it's changing very fast. And if we don't want to change by, by observing the, neg the negative energy that's in our country, and, and I'm not saying negative policies, I'm just saying we got to be aware that the world is changing. And if we're going to get stoic or stubborn or, or divisive, and blaming and bring the blame shame game to our country, it's only going to create problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I think Biden has said, and is you know we got to unify, and we got to bring out we, we got to bring back bipartisanism. We got to bring back uh, a teamwork. Um, our government is huge. It's big. It's so much money. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not a money guy. I don't understand, you know, so many things about finances. But all I know is we are a great country. We have, I think we're still, you know, China and us, we're still one of the richest countries in the world. And we got to organize and unify. And, and I love how our young people have come together a little bit to be more alert and more aware of their, their, their society. I have a 16-year-old daughter that's tremendously into politics, more, much more than I ever mm -hmm. was into politics and aware of, you know, what's going on, what she wants. Uh, you know, everybody has their biases. Everybody have, has their hot buttons that they, you yeah. know, that bother them. It comes in different forms. Um, you know, but, uh, I, I, and I, I personally, like the NBA players being doing what they're doing. Me too. I like them making a stand. Yes, I think Adam Silver in the front in the league office is going to have to try to figure out how far and what to do and how to organize it and how to direct it because there are people that have said to me that I'm not going to I'm not going to look at athletics if they're going to be political. Yeah. Um but I think there are some very wise, intelligent, um, young basketball players that want their voice heard and want to lead a, a difficult, a diff in a difficult moment. Yeah, you could see that. The, the, the fact, you know, LeBron, I look at LeBron James and it's funny how polarizing he's become <clears throat> some of the decisions he made. I look back, the guy, you know, the guy and Dwayne Wade and him put on those hoodies for, uh, before, after the Trayvon Martin thing in Miami. That, to me, was one of the first times a guy of that stature said, look, I, I don't care what people think. This was wrong, and we're going to support this as a team. 
that was like, to me, it was like a watershed moment. That was before Ferguson. That was before um, Black Lives Matter, everything. He was basically saying, I, like, I could lose money over this, but this is how I feel. And that, to me, was like a window into the social the renaissance of social conscience among athletes. And I'm all for it. I mean, and not because I just because I lean left. I just think that, you know, like you said, considering how polarized our country's become, I don't even see a chance for us to heal as a society real quick. I feel like we're in for a long period of strife no matter what happens next week. Um, unfortunately, I think you're probably right. Uh, but change, and, you know, the, the, I think what happens when you're asking for change, and to be honest with you, you know, I'm, I'm big into anti-racism. You know, the George Floyd stuff hit me hard, hit me hard. And we're not, we're not being fair. We're not giving equality to women, to Native Americans, to, to Asians, to yeah. Blacks. And it's a white man's problem. And yeah. it's a white person's problem. We, we got to look at ourselves, look in the mirror and say, hey, yeah. You know, my mother used the N-word. Yeah, I grew up and I have biases because of my culture, how I grew up. And I'm the one that's got to change. Mm. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, um, my, my wisdom to my friends and everything, to especially the, my white friends, is the black man doesn't want to hear your voice. They mm. want you to listen. They want you to learn. They want you to feel what they are in. And they want you to do it with love and understanding. And then they want you to change. Mm. And all that takes time. It's not going to be a light switch. You're not going to be able to change. It's going to take time. But, uh, you know, saying mm. that racism doesn't exist is just sad. Yeah. Saying that you're the most non-racist person in the world is sad. Yeah. Not being able to look in the mirror knowing that you've had, and I've done, you know, I've handled yeah. my, my position as a coach and my position as a leader of a community as a coach. I could have done more. I, I should have stood like up more. Well, you know, I, you know, after, after Floyd, I went back and talked to 25 of my friends that are African-American mm -hmm. and every one of them had somewhat of a police brutality story for them. Everyone, wow. wealthy ones, the guys that live, grew up in suburbia, all of them, you know, guys that are doctors today, guys that are, you know, successful entrepreneurs, they all have one. My son-in-law is black. He told me 10 stories. 10. He grew up in Mobile, Alabama. And I mean, he had guns pulled on him. And, and, and my brother-in-law is, I mean, my son-in-law is a wonderful human being, soft, gentle, kind, empathetic. And just because he's big and he's black and, and, you know, he's married to a white woman. Mm. It's sad. And we got to change it. Yeah. And, you know, how we change it, yeah, you know, that, that's got to be negotiated. That's got to be figured out. But to be, to, 
just take people's words and throw them back and forth at each other. That's not who we are. No, you know, that's, we're, yeah. we're a team that's worked together and gotten through our problems because we unified. And that's, I think that's basically the, the, the choice you have right now <laughs> is do you want to continue in this path of, of ugly, of blame and shame yeah. that, you know, we live in a world right now of uncertainty because of the pandemic, but don't blame, blame, don't, don't blame the pandemic on everything. You know, we've been delinquent in our decision-making. We've been delinquent in our leadership. Oh. We, have, we have not stood up um, and just be Americans and not, you know, we're too much, you know, liberal or right-wing or right. Democrat. These, these, this, stuff, this stuff of race, racism is about being the best country in the world, American. And we have had horrific, things happened in our history that have been swept under the rug that now we must be made aware of that we have to change and i say that most of the time yep to the white society we have to change yeah I, and you're preaching to the choir on all this i, I i'm so you know <clears throat> look i i try to be non-political at times but it's and sure you can call me a whatever a virtue signaling left wing snowflake. I lean left, but it's not it's not because you know I was brought up a tree hugger or whatever. You know I I just saw a lot of people that were crapped on in the jobs I had at the small newspapers. It was always the corporations who were stepping on black and brown people in this country. And what gets me right now is this. I don't want to call him a, an idiot. Now nah, yeah he is. I mean our president is just so damn. Uh, about himself. It doesn't have to do with he's a Republican or a Redeemer. He's about himself. And, and you, I say, I don't know, Joe, I met Joe Biden once at some highfalutin Washington party. Even in that moment, I felt like he gave a crap about something other than just himself. And I feel like if we're ever going to get past this, this ugly part, I mean, I, I, I went down through my, my timeline on social media the other day to see all the ugly things written to me. And I realized I'd written uglier things back to these people. And I started to go, this is what I, you know, this is what Trump's made me. But then I thought, no, that, that's a cop out. I got to own it. I became nasty on my own, uh, you know, merit because I saw this ugliness and I didn't, what do you call it? Log off and lean in. I, I, I polarized myself away from people and I started going, okay, this person's red, this person's blue. And the bottom line is, you know, we all have, we all move heaven and earth to protect our families and kids. And we all believe in this country. I, I hate that. I hate that people on the far right co-opted the American flag. It's almost become the Confederate flag in some ways. I want to take our flag back. But more than that, I just want Trump out of the White House because I think his, he's poison. Uh, he's in the, the incivility he's brought, everything that's happened in our country um, that's uh, irrespective of whether you believe in his policies, the American president has to be somewhat of a human being. I don't think this guy's a human being or he's a human doer, but he's not a human beer. He's not empathetic. He doesn't, he has trouble. He, tr he has trouble walking in other people's shoes. Um, I have many, many. You can't even probably play basketball. I, 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 I bet you can't even make a 10 footer. No, I might break his, if I threw him a pass, I might hit him in the head. <laughs> um, but um, 
you know what I what I I just like about what I live in today is yeah. a lot of it has pa is pandemic right? is uncertainty. Franco in his book Search Man's Search for Meaning said, even in the concentration camps, that the uncertainty is what drove the people crazy. And I think we are living uncertain times, and I think we need, you know, understand that that's probably going to be with us for a little bit longer. I, mm -hmm. I don't know how much longer, but you know. With the leadership we've had, the, the tug of wars and the anger and the division and the polarization, <clears throat> you know, a day feels like a week. A week feels like a month. A month feels like a year. Amen. I mean, it is so heavy, <laughs> so cloudy, mm. so confusing. And every day we're trying to orient ourselves through these wild and accusations and you know, and, you know, he said, she said, blame, shame, mm. all the ugliness of psychology. Uh, and then we live in a world that more media and more the Internet, everything is blown up and mm. so intense. And artificial information and, you know, fake information. We're, we're in uh, the age of disinformation now. It's crazy. And, and you know... I know nothing about the tech world, but you know, I guess last night the cyber stuff that has hit some hospitals in our country, mm -hmm. that scares me because I have a lot of people who have told me that's where it's going to go. And they, and they're a lot smarter than I am in that area. Wow. That's uh, so you had, you had on something earlier. You said uh, change is happening with you. I heard someone once told me, they said, change is certain growth is optional. <laughs> And, you know, if you're not growing, when the when society is changing, you're not doing anybody any good. I I almost wish a guy like Coach Smith was still around because he talked some sense into some people. I, I, I feel like we've lost so many of our teachers and the people that, um, that you know, made just not great basketball players, but great men. And certainly when you talk to your former players, you were one of those people. You weren't just about the game. Although you would give your left arm to win, you you still like you you made it about uh, you human. It was a human experience. It wasn't just an NBA experience. And I, sometimes I feel like not that we have a bunch of calibrators in our game and they don't celebrate it enough, but there is this reliance on uh, analytics. There is this reliance on the new, the young. And I was talking to Larry Brown about this uh, not too long ago. Was um, that if you're going to move people with the experience um, and and legacy of people like you out and don't have room for them, you're doing yourself a disservice as a league. Well, I think our world today has more information, more knowledge, more exchanging of information than ever before. But I'm not sure our world is more wise. And wisdom comes through experiences wisdom comes through perseverance wisdom comes from a, most of the most wisdom comes from failure and to guide yourself without wisdom is silly if you can have it on your side i mean coach smith told me a long time ago hire older coaches that know you and know what how to get to you don't younger coaches are good their enthusiasm their energy is fantastic but power 
I think is best served when you do it democratically, mm. when you share the power with each other. I don't like I don't like powerful organizations or corporations that are dictatorial. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm talking about coaching because mm. 25, 30 years ago, coaching was dictatorial. Mm -hmm. Today, it's democratic. Tomorrow, you better have communication and personal personal relationships because players now they don't want to be told to do something they want to be together in doing something they want to feel the collaboration they want to feel a part of the decision as much as they want to be demanding mm -hmm. of the detail of the philosophy of their information Vince asked you um one of your former players said something the other day um that you you had told him something when you were together in Albany and it just turned him around. Do you remember that discussion? Well, Vince was, uh, he was stubborn. You know, Vince in many ways was very stubborn as a lot of players are. Uh, and I just told him, I said, you're not going to be a star in the NBA without starting as a bench player. And you, you got to change your way that you take in information. You are rebellious. You are rationalizing. You are, you're taking the information and trying to figure out may, why it might not work. Take mm -hmm. information in and say, hey, I'm going to support this and make it work. And, you know, George Patton said something a long time ago in war, in World War II. He, he got frustrated because... Because, um, I don't know, when they, I, don't, I think it was the last, the Battle of the Bulge, and they procrastinated their plan for weeks. And Patton was, he's one of these guys that said, he said, a good plan aggressively executed is better than a, the best plan procrastinated. Mm. That's and a great I, quote. And I always have enjoyed that quote because in coaching, you know, you're always working for maybe the best, but you just want to be really, in the end, you just want to be, you know, do, do something that you can aggressively execute and it makes you better. And procrastination, I don't know, I've been doing a lot of studying on the mind. Procrastination is a very negative energy. Very oh, negative yeah. energy. I knew I was, I knew I slept up to my office for a reason today. You just, you just spoke, it was like you just made an epiphany. You just had an epiphany for me. You know what my big thing is now? I procrastinate. I literally go down instead of writing my book that I'm writing on this Billy Mills guy, I, wrote, I go down and write and make stupid cookies because I, I just, I don't, I need to, I need to just get results and do what I'm supposed to do, but I just keep, I put, put stuff off. I don't know why I put it off. The, the, the partner of procrastination is lazy. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, your next step if you procrastinate. I'm just going to start paying for therapy at this point. Well, and it goes back to uncertainty. We live in a world of uncertainty. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's what is angering us. That's what is, you know, creating yeah. the mental health frustrations that we all, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm snappier with my kids, uh, you know. Uh, oh, I, I yelled the other day and I had to apologize at my young yeah. man. I mean, I'm, I'm uptight and I, mm -hmm. and I think a little bit, it's the combination of the election being around the corner that yeah. we all, 
want to be done with and move forward and, and, and jump in and be optimistic about, you know, we, you know, I'm, I'm very positive that, you know, I, I just read the book, I reread the book grit and it's about, it's about perseverance and passion. Americans are passionate about this country. Wait, who wrote the grit? Of, uh, Duckworth. Duckworth. Okay. And Angela Duckworth, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our country, when we've had our troubles and our nightmares and our world wars, and our, we've always figured it out and we've always come out of it better. And yeah, I'm scared. I'm, I'm probably as scared as I've ever been that this is, this is something we got to work at. But it can't be bullied, it can't be demanded. And, and, and the last thing. You can't thing be in denial did, about it. Exactly. I mean, let's, let's evolve. Let's, you know, we've been the leader of the free world for a long time. I'm not saying I want to be the biggest, best leader in the world, but I want to be a leader of the world, of the right stuff. Hmm. And Coach Smith always told me in basketball, you know, like when you started, you started a discussion on should you go over the top on the pick and roll or underneath on the pick and roll? He said, you know the right stuff in the game. You know what the right stuff is. But today's world's got into rationalization and argument. And my, my point of view is better than your point of view. Mm -hmm. What makes it all work is commitment and unify and do it all together hard and together. Yeah, I, someone said the other day, they go, hey, you got too much white guilt. And I go, you know, I actually should have more white guilt because my, my great-great-grandfather, I found out, was a Confederate cannoneer, and he shot cannons at Gettysburg, and, he, and, uh, and, my, and my mom was German, and I guess my grandfather, you know, was a, was a glider instructor in, in Germany. He was technically a Nazi. I should have all the way, but you know what? I don't, I don't have any. I have human contempt. I have human contempt for people that don't like living next to people who don't look like them or think like them. I, that bothers me. Like, what, like, like why don't uh, – maybe because I, my folks moved to Hawaii when I was 12 and it was a real melting pot. I, not that I, I don't – I like being around my own race, but if I'm not around other people and, and the, the, with other kind of thoughts, I feel like it's, it's a lesser experience in the world, and I feel like too many people in this country don't want to be unified. They, they, almost want, they almost want another country. And that's where we got to get away from. I agree with you. I agree with it. Um, um, all right. Well, I, I'm going to switch gears a minute because when we talked in May, you, we, we were like, we didn't know what the heck was going to happen. The season was on pause. And I was even, I wasn't critical of Adam Silver, but I, but I was basically like, how in the hell are we going to have a basketball season with all this racial reckoning going on, streets are burning, the pandemic's all over, and these guys are in this hermetically sealed bubble in Orlando, and it's just going to look so tone deaf. And boy, the way they combine the social messaging with these guys being able to speak out after games about Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and all the things, and, and not having a single COVID positive case, I'm, I'm blown away how they pulled it off. And the ratings weren't great because, shoot, no ratings are great right now because people don't care much about sports like they used to. But, but, but damn it if the NBA didn't do it again, in my book. I don't know what your feelings were about the quality and everything. Well, it, 
in a lot of ways, it saved my, you know, it gave me a purpose. It brought purpose back into, it brought my passion and purpose that I lived most of my life for back to me. The one mm. thing I felt about the bubble, and I, I want to celebrate this, the fans are a big part of our game. Mm. They are a huge part of our game. The fans, yeah. we need them. Yeah. I know we need them, but playing a basketball game without fans, playing a football game without fans, playing a golf tournament without fans, it is totally unbelievably different. I mean, all these young guys making six threes in an NBA playoff game, they don't do that in a 25,000 year. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You don't think Jamal Murray has the playoff series he does? If, uh, if, Some if of he... them will. The special okay, okay. ones will. Yeah. We had, we had uh, the Gary Grant kid from Portland look like oh, yeah. he looked like Steph Curry out there. <laughs> you know, the guys from Miami. Yeah. The young kids from Miami, they, they oh. look like. They look like Del Curry out there. <laughs> the threes, everybody yeah. was taking the three, was making one three. Yeah. But I, I just want to say, fans, please come back. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talking all sports. Yeah. I remember in the golf tournament, I don't know if you remember at Muirfield, they had a golf tournament where a guy made a, a 60 foot putt to win the playoff. And if he would have made that, he made a 60 foot putt. And the guy, next guy had like a 20-foot putt, and he made it. And it's, it's, they stayed tied. That guy, if the crowd was around that. Oh, the that gallery green, would have exploded. There, there's no way he makes that 20-footer, no. in my opinion. Yeah. There's no there's way. A, I mean, there's a different pressure there when you got the world. Yeah. And, you know, free no. throws, and you talk to guys that were in the bubble. There's no noise. You could hear everybody talk. Right. Uh, so fans – we miss you, and uh, we need you. We need you badly. And I, and the, and and when I was at ESPN, Bruce and I talked about the fan all the time. And sometimes yeah. I think players don't realize how important the fan is to the games, and to the sports, uh, and the money we make. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, we're. I was telling you before the show started. We had Jeannie Buss on. I thought she was going to join us for about 30, 40 minutes. She ended up giving us gold for 90 minutes. I mean, talked to talked about the, the mansion she grew up in with all the old Hollywood legends that had lived there before, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford. But but more than that, she just talked about the Lakers and what they'd been through with Kobe and to win it this year. And well, I didn't do this on the podcast, but now that I think about it, I'm gonna call her back. Your son Kobe is, of course, the head coach of their G League team, the South Bay Lakers. I think I think Kobe deserves a ring too, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna lobby for it. You know, I actually somewhere a couple a week ago or two weeks ago after it all happened, I asked Kobe, "Do you get do you get a ring?" He didn't know. He didn't know oh. if he would or he wouldn't. So he doesn't. I, I, I think I, I'm gonna make it happen, and um, and you you can thank me later. It's it's the least we can do since we didn't pay you for this. Well, Kobe and Caruso are really close. Oh, and, they are okay. And, uh, and yeah, Kobe, he's a, he, boy, what a great uh, role player. Well, the funny thing is, he's a role player on that team. I could see Caruso getting 15-20 for a team that was 500 somewhere. Well, you know, Kobe actually has the, the kid at Clipperland, Zubak. Zubak. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, the guy, you know, Kobe did a good job with the bigs. Yep. And Kobe plays like I play. So the big guy, if he doesn't play the right way or well, 
usually sits next to the bench. And, and I thought uh, the center in the Washington Wizards, I forget the kid that's from Michigan, well, also was with Kobe and did a great job with him. And um, uh, the kid, I love uh, my son. The re recent, recent kid with the Wizards? Uh, he was traded from the Lakers to the Wizards. The big kid from the shooting big kid. Oh, I know you're thinking from of. From Michigan, from Germany. Uh, and he's. Um, and he Mo, Wagner. Good, Mo Wagner. And then, Mo, and Mo, Tom, Mo Wagner. And, He's on and Bryant, Tom, and Thomas Bryant was with Kobe. With oh, Thomas Lakers Bryant, team. very good, very good big. So, you know, there's a lot of big guys that Kobe's had uh, that I think Kobe's done a great job with. Caruso, I think he's done a great job with. Uh, Kobe did a nice job with Gary Payton the third, I think, or second, I don't know. And Gary Payton is now in the league. For, so, you know, Kobe's been coaching the Lakers four or five years, and he's probably has six or seven guys make the league starting with Kobe's teaching Kobe's teaching of the pro game to them. Does he work with them? Like for instance, work them out all the time or uh, uh, is, is it more of a coaching role and wherever team he's with, he's working with them at that time. <clears throat> Kobe spends a lot of time with the, with the, the main team before training camp, training okay. camp and summer league and stuff like that. But once their season starts, they're, they're fairly separate, even though they're mm -hmm. players moving back and forth. Um, Frank is more engaged and wanting having a, uh, a system that are, is, is similar. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, I think, I really think Kobe had a lot of influence on telling Frank that Caruso could play, you know, because Caruso actually two years ago with Luke played better for the Lakers than he played for Kobe. See, uh, he's a role player on the Lakers that understands that yeah. he knows that he's a role player, but for Kobe, he had to be the best player and he didn't, he didn't have as much success being the best player as he did as having being a role player for the Lakers. And there are other guys in the league that probably have a similar personality but it's the guys that recognize that they're a role player in the NBA and a super, and they, they're, they're the star of a C, of a G league team. And it's, they get confused. You know, when you're a star on the G league and you get 25 and 10, and then you go up to play 25 minutes in the Lakers, you know, if you just do the right things and not make mistakes, you're probably going to stay on the court. Yeah. This was the best analogy I can come up with. My profession was going from the Sacramento Union to the New York Times. Very, very tough adjustment, but I, I found a role. <laughs> uh, the I love it that he's just coaching the big man again. The big man and the big man is sort of yes, we have stretch fives, we got stretch fours. I mean, God forbid if somebody had some footwork and and actually put posted up down by the basket. The kids he's coaching still there's that. I still think that's going to come back to the game at some point that. The, the inside outside basketball that made this game great and really was part of the sublime choreography of teamwork that made the made the court. I love the game now and I love when the Warriors came along and they just moved the ball so well. But this 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 I guess extreme reliance on the three is just a little I don't know. Just for for my old school taste, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see that ball. Uh, the, the post guy, especially with a game with a back to the basket, uh, you feel like he should be rewarded more. 
I'm not sure the big guy. I think the post game could come back. Yeah. But I'm not sure it's going to be the big man. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know that's that 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 makes more sense. I think Kemba Walker down there, uh, put, you know, power dribble. I mean, my last couple of years in in Denver, our post up, we posted up on there Miller, posted oh, up, right. posted him up a lot. Well, so I, he came to the Wizards at the end. He was so fun to watch. I mean, and I actually say I think you know Giannis has trouble because they crowd him all the time. Yeah, so put him in the post a little bit more. Put him in, in underneath the basket a little bit more, yeah. where the, the the crowd can't get to him as quick as they do when he's out front. Um, the, uh, I'm trying to think. Kobe, um, Kobe played in uh, in Europe, correct? Many years, many years in Europe. He played one year with the Lakers. Right, played one year. Then uh, he had a little, year, tra- he had one, a little time with the Warriors. He got a couple ten days, and then he yeah. got uh, he got a stint with Cleveland. Play with Kobe and LeBron, which is, yeah. I mean, Kobe Bryant and LeBron, which is one of the few players that probably did that. Um, and then he got, he got a couple 10 days with Golden State. Uh, but most of his career was played in Germany or Spain. He played with, uh, uh, you know, he played with uh, the, the point guard from Spain and, and that's in Phoenix right now. At Joe, oh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Rubio. He played Ricky Rubio. Ricky. Yeah, I went to the Timberwolves and then yeah, ended up yeah. Yeah, yeah Kobe Rubio. was. Oh, on boy, he Joven, was. A, yeah, I think he was with Joven too. Yeah, in in, uh, in Spain for a while and played. Spent about about three or four months with Ricky Rubio. Played with Milano for a short stint. So he, he bounced all over Europe. He never could get with a really good European league team. And he got frustrated. And by January, he got tired of practicing all the time and only playing one game a week. And I just told him one summer, I said, why don't you give, just give it up and go into coaching? And uh, <clears throat> Derek Fisher was in New York. Derek and him had a good relationship. And then Alan Houston interviewed him for the assistant coaching job in, U- in New York. And he did that, I think, for two years. And then he's been in L.A. for now as head coach for – I think four years, maybe going on five, if they go this year. Yeah, I um, I look at uh, – he was kind of – I don't know how big of a schoolboy legend he was in Milwaukee when you were coaching there, but but um, certainly uh, Tyler Hero uh, is sort of like that. He's become like a sensation in no time. And I, I asked this about somebody um, – there's a photographer for the NBA. Um, he's been around forever. I don't know if you know him, Andy Thompson. And, I think I do. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's Clay's brother. Uh, he's just older than Clay, and um, he's but he's yeah older, light skinned black guy. And I, you know, and my son, I'm an old dad, and I my son can play a little bit, and he plays in a pretty good AU team. Here he's only ten, but I said, you know, I you know, I don't want to have my son like you know like uh, going through all this craziness. He's got to go through the AU thing, and he goes, well, what are you gonna do? You gonna have him play lacrosse? And he said his point was we had public service announcements recently. And we were trying to think of one white player of prominence that we could actually put in the ones. We didn't have any. This was a few years ago. And he goes, Kevin Love, maybe, but that was it. And he goes, the white, the white American-born player is, like, dying in the league. And he said, and he said, I don't even think it's because um, African-Americans have dominated the sport as much as 
so many white parents tell their kids, oh, you can't make it against these guys from the inner city. I'm going to go have you be a swimmer. And he said, well, if he wants to play, don't give up on his dream. And I always think like to myself, one, you don't need white players to make the league popular. All these guys have become mainstream crossover stars now. But I also think like, I wonder if like white parents are shying away from putting their kids in basketball and see if, how far they can go because of this. I don't know. I mean, I know I was blessed because I had a high school basketball coach who took me and I played in the inner city, Pittsburgh inner city summer leagues. I played at Pitt Fieldhouse where I was playing against African-Americans every day. Better, you know, and it made me a better player. Yeah. Uh, it made me a better player on, you know. And Do you think anybody around. cares anymore about uh, – uh, I mean, obviously, it's interesting to me, like, the most gifted passer in the game, in my book, almost, is, is Jokic now. Jokic is just a beautiful passer. And I go, does that, does that skill even evolve over here for an American-born white or black player for that much? And I, and I don't – like, it's, it's one of those things where I don't care, but also I, I wonder, like, are, are, are people – are people really that uh, narrow-minded that they think that this is that they sh they shouldn't let their kid go as far as they can go? Uh, I think parents are a little bit of a problem in sports. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's changed totally. Uh, I don't know when it started to change. Probably you know a couple gen you know early 2000s, maybe in the 90s. Parents now are looking at sports as an avenue, maybe to get an education, save money, make money. Uh, you know, instead of having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a college education, you get lucky with scholarship or at least a partial scholarship. And that's fantastic. Uh, but you got to be realistic. I mean, when you play it, when your kid is not good enough, you got to be realistic. And I, I've always said players are all, always think they're a little bit better than they are well the parents are magnifying that they think their kid is twice as good as they are and they want them to be good they want them to be successful instead of failing as, as you know I, I believe the great player somewhere along the way has a failure in his life mm -hmm. and and today we try to be softer on failure but I think we should be harder we should be, we should want our kids helping them when they fail might not always be the best parenting. Good advice. All right. A couple more before we let George Carl go lightning round times uh, coach Philadelphia hired doc rivers as head coach and Daryl Morey as their president. You were never big analytics guy, but Daryl is the godfather of analytics. How do you see his philosophy working with a team that up until now hasn't really used analytics and relies on a classic post-up guy like Joel Embiid? Well, the one thing I'm going to say about Daryl Morley, Morley is he's the best trade maker at trade deadline <laughs> I've ever seen in the NBA. Well, he tries to win championships. He rolls the dice. He takes a chance. Yeah. He will make a move that it doesn't work. He's going to be held accountable for it. He has courage to make a trade. There are organizations in this country that, and not, I'm not only talking basketball, but baseball and football, 
that they want to talk they want to talk about potential they want to talk about how their draft picks are really good but they're not good enough to win a championship and and the goal is to win a championship i think or is it is it a goal Why are you is, in to, it? is to make make a first round draft pick the dog, by the way, the dog's the dog's okay to make a Zoom appearance if you need her to. Teddy, we, Teddy, we're, we're, we're big dog here. people here. Come here, Teddy. Come here, buddy. Yeah. Come here. We're, come we're here, kinda, Teddy. Come on. Like, just don't start there. singing Who Let the Dogs Out, please. Nobody wants yeah. to hear you sing. Oh, oh, that's a beautiful baby. This is Teddy, my hey, Labrador. Teddy? A miniature Labrador. Mi miniature poodle? Labradoodle. A Labradoodle. He has oh, lab a, and he has some poodle in him. Oh, that's a great dog. How old is he? He's three years old. Three years old? And there's a 14-year-old lab over here sitting on the couch. He's not getting up. Oh, <laughs> we had a 12-year-old. We had a 12-and-a-half-year-old golden lab. Boy, when she passed, it was, uh, it, was like, it was like our first child died. Yeah, was, we, we, we had a 16-year-old lab that passed, and then oh. we got Teddy. So we're good. 16 is great. They make it that far. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, shoot, I don't even know what the last thing I was going to ask you. Oh, Chris Paul, he's due 80, $85 million the next two seasons. I mean, good work if you can get it. Does, would he, would he, a guy like that even fit in with the 76ers? I mean, you know, I'm, here in Denver, I've been a big advocate that the Denver Nuggets should have signed Chris Paul. Oh, I mean, I thought, I, I thought that would be Denver, great. If Denver had Chris Paul this year, they would have been contending. Yeah. And they, they already are good enough. Yeah, they to already contend, were, but, yeah. I think they're real. They're real if they have Chris Paul at the point guard. Oh. Jamal Murray, yeah. I like. Jokic, I love. Um, but, you know, I just have this, you know, for about the last 10 years, I think the point guard has become the quarterback of basketball. Mm -hmm. And in the NFL right now, you know you can't win without a quarterback. Yep. I mean, that's been a concluding factor. You're not going to win like the old days with just – defense and rushing and yeah. and have open open for bad weather um but yeah. i think chris paul's marvelous i think i thought his you know chris has been criticized over the years because he's too hard on players he yells too much i thought he did an unbelievable job helping coach oklahoma city his guidance of the other point guards was mm -hmm. magnificent um and then his performance this year in the fourth quarter, there wasn't a better fourth quarter basketball player than Chris Paul in the NBA this year. Yeah. Yeah, I finally – I was glad that he had a team that he, he, he went as far as he did. He, he had I, – I still like to see him in the finals one day. Last one, and it's the proverbial question that everybody asks now. I feel like it's almost disrespectful. Batman versus Superman, LeBron versus Michael Jordan – uh, your all-time favorite greatest player. Um, they might not even be it. Um, I've become more preferential to LeBron recently just because his longevity and everything. But I covered Jordan in his prime, and there was nobody more spectacular. I don't know. But, Jordan, you would have a better opinion and thought about it than I would. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought Michael got beat up. And he had to get away from the game because he was so demanding of himself. It was too stressful. Mm. Michael, in today's game, could score so much easier than he scored back then. You know, the hand-checking and the, 
the physical in contact the and the elbows. And <laughs> it's a different game. It's yeah. a different generation, different game. They are both extremely special. And in my opinion, Magic Johnson should be with that. Because Magic, in my opinion, you know, a lot of people say Kobe's the greatest Laker. Yeah. I think Magic was the greatest Laker. And I thought Magic, I, you know, as a coach, I love players that make other people better. Yeah. And LeBron does it. Michael did it. And Magic was probably as good as those two at doing it. And uh, so those are my three best. And I mm -hmm. still give Michael because he's six for six. Um, and he didn't have that, those, I want to say, underachieving <laughs> performances that LeBron has had in his career. In the finals. finals. You know, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think a lot of people would say that. Well, sir, the pride of Penn Hills, Pennsylvania, ah. 1973, uh, all ACC first team player for Carolina, coach of the year in 2013. They don't make Wikipedia for nothing. I could go on and on. Um, it, so it, beyond the, you know, beyond all the accolades, beyond the fact that you know the game like few people in this world, um, you're a good soul, and that to me is more important than even being a hell of a basketball coach. So thanks for thanks for joining us again. Well, Mike, I enjoy getting to know you, and Bruce has always been a friend and fan. So let's keep it rolling. And, yeah. Uh, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna put a space cow. We're gonna put a space cowboys tour together at some point. Larry Brown will join us. Um, I'm not sure who else is out there that's over sixty. Doug, Doug Moe in there a little bit. Don't oh me. yeah, you gotta get Doug Moe. And 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 you know what? I've been kind of befriended Rick Barry. He's kind of crazy, but Rick's pretty. Rick I mean, Barry would be tremendous. Yeah. He, and he's he's in your neighbor. He lives in Colorado. He lives in he? Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rick. Yeah, Rick. Oh, you'll love this one, Rick. Rick. Uh, you know, you, I grew up a Golden State Warriors fan as a kid, and I was probably twelve when they won the the, the title. And I, I just, you know, and so you, you know, flash forward to um, now, uh, Scooter. I'm sorry, Brent Berry's in the final with the Spurs, and I see Rick, who I'd had on the New York Times uh, a couple times in the podcast. I said, hey. I go, he goes, what are you doing the second half? And I go, well, I got to go up to my press row. He goes, I got a ticket. You want to watch the, the, and it's game seven, San Antonio, Detroit. And um, the whole time, and I'm thinking, this is great. I'm sitting next to Rick Perry, my idol, watching his son win an NBA. The last three minutes of the game were probably the most miserable three minutes. All he did was point out everybody's mess up. He goes, oh, he screwed up there. Look, you cannot deliver that pass. He's the most critical guy I've ever seen in my life. But he's opinionated. He, you know, he doesn't. Oh, he, he doesn't knows spin. the game. He's great. He doesn't spin many things. What's funny is Rick lives in Colorado Springs, and I don't know if you know Bill Fickey, but Bill Fickey was Doug Moe's assistant coach, has a pizza joint in town here in Denver. And about once a month, we have an ABA reunion at Bill Fickey's Pizza's Point. Oh. And Rick has come up. Uh, we had Bob Pettit come in one time, Julius came in one time. Uh, we had the, you know, we had all the all the old ABA. There's like got, six or seven know, ABA I, guys. I could turn that into a feature for a magazine. I should I should find out a date and come out one day and get a photographer. That'd, that'd be a fun. Just the just being a fly on the wall. The stories would be tremendous. 
Yeah, we unfortunately with the pandemic we can't do it. We can't do it. Oh, we, we haven't we haven't done it for like no, six so, months now. Uh, the Zoom the Zoom ABA reunion. <laughs> we I mean uh, uh, we had a Zoom call with a lot of ABA guys a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago maybe. Ah, that's um, great. Um, that's great. Well, well again, thank you. That was dope. <laughs> It's time to wrap things up for this week. Thank you very much to our good pal, George Carl, for sharing some time with us. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, as well as our talented editor, Tom Phillip. Please listen to all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with John Fanta comes your way each Tuesday with the best college basketball guests anywhere. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here each Wednesday. And Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drop in every Thursday. B.J. Armstrong, Eric Newman, they're here every Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast. And I'm back each Monday with the Mike Wise Show. If you didn't hear the Jeannie Buss interview, which went on for 90 minutes and was as revealing and authentic as I've ever heard her, please go back and listen from last week. And also, leave a five-star rating if you want. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, I don't want to go off on our president any more than he needs to, but COVID-19 does not have a party. It does not have a political affiliation. It's just an awful virus that's still tearing through our country and killing thousands. So please wash your hands, stay at least six feet away from others, and wear that mask. Don't complain about it, just do it. And remember to treat everyone around you, even strangers, as friends and be considerate. I still need lessons in that from time to time, especially on social media. And don't forget to keep our medical professionals in your thoughts. Also, we all need to work together to continue our social justice push as we strive for a more just and inclusive society. So please do your part and don't forget to vote. Till next week, aloha. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.